You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, in our continuing uh, effort and support of the Georgia Military Hall of Fame, we have a beautiful, beautiful lady in here today, Donna Rowe. And uh, as we were just talking before um, we went live uh, about what Donna did in Vietnam, and she's also she's an inductee into the Military Hall of Georgia Military Hall of Fame. And uh, as of that was as of 2016, Donna said. And um, we've got, by the way, we got Victor coming in too. Uh, so we've got uh, Victor, Victor Armanderos, who happens to be a friend of Donna's, and mm-hmm. it's becoming a very small world in, in America's web radio world. And um, we're going to have some important announcements coming down the pike before long about Donna. And um, But welcome to America's web radio, Donna. Thank it you is, so much. It is our pleasure. I want to thank Colonel uh, Rick uh White for getting involved and, and helping us uh, get Donna in, and uh, so many others. And as Donna was talking, the at least I don't think that uh, the Vietnam War is the forgotten war like Korea. But uh, as I mentioned, and, and as I've mentioned many times before. Yes, I'm a veteran, but I did not serve in Vietnam, and I don't want to be like the politician from Connecticut, I think, that insinuated that uh, he had been in Vietnam or insinuated that he was a Vietnam veteran. I have all the respect in the world for my friends and folks that I've never known or never met that, that served in Vietnam. I have all the disrespect I can muster for the people that spit at or or protested or did whatever they did during Vietnam. And most of it was because of lack of education. And uh, I feel sorry for them that they, uh, they did not know the truth and did not accept that so many put their lives on the line for them. And whether you support the war or don't support it, you should support the person, man or woman, that puts themselves on the line for for our country. So, Donna, welcome to America's Web Radio. Thank you, David. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Well, we're going to talk, and, and again, I did not serve in Vietnam. I have never had to have anybody call in a dust-off for me, but I've had many, many, many friends and still do that... Uh, you know, well, I was an EMT back during the war, but that that was in in the U.S. And there's got to be a feeling within you that goes back, who knows, hundreds of times, thousands of times, I don't know. But there's no feeling in the world when a patient looks up to you and says, just get me there. Or you see in their eyes, whether it's man or woman, you see in their eyes, Please just get me there, meaning the hospital or wherever wherever mm-hmm. they're going. Whether it's been a been a wreck, been a gunshot, whatever it happens to be, there's that certain look, and there's that certain look with when you get them there. And yep. uh, 
So I, you must have uh, you must have gone through that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Well, I ran one of the largest shock trauma triage emergency rooms in Vietnam, and uh, we could take uh, on one wave we could take anywhere from twenty to a hundred uh, on the ground. Wow! And uh, I had a helipad that could receive. Um, four, five, six helicopters at a time, um, and most of them came in loaded, and loaded could be anywhere from five to ten, depending on how many they could get in there. And I had 39 terrific combat mats that worked with me, and 42 great doctors, three terrific Red Cross gals. They were the TLC in that triage area, because I, I didn't have time for TLC. My job was to make sure they lived. That was my job. And uh, and we did. We did. Matter of fact, in the 369 days, David, that I was in Vietnam, we didn't lose one that came in alive in that triage area. Not my one. goodness. That's incredible. Not one. Now, we got the black body bags. We got that, so I couldn't do anything about that, um, even though we checked them to make sure that they were dead. Um, but the ones that came in alive we saved and i'm not saying we didn't lose them in the or or lost them because of complications down the line like renal failure or things like that but they they were alive when they left my area you know i guess if there was one thing that could be said about vietnam would be the fact that it was like no other war ever fought and uh you know, if I've, and please, I know you're a, a patriot, and I don't say this against the United States, but if we've ever had a problem in the United States, and it, it goes back to the back to the war of, of yeah, well, it goes back to almost every war. One, we have never had a diplomatic policy in my foreign policy that was worth anything per se, except maybe the Monroe Doctrine. But beyond that, and to go to Vietnam, it was like we went there thinking that it was an open pasture like every other war that we'd fought, that it was just open ground and you could see everything. And come to find out, oh, gee, we're here and there's jungle. What do we do now? Where we used a lot of Agent Orange. Yeah. And that's why a lot of the Vietnam vets are dying much younger than the World War II vets. My best my friend. Husband, my husband's a good example. He died from exposure to Agent Orange. Yeah, I've got my best friend and roommate and everything else through college. Uh, he's got diabetes. He's mm-hmm. lost half of his tongue because of it, the yeah. cancer. and. Uh, well, and it, uh, we needed to defoliate in order to see the enemy, but, of course... We didn't know we were being covered with a carcinogenic. Who was it, Admiral? I don't know which admiral. Well, I, but no, he uh, he he uh, he he laid down the order to spray, and he sprayed his son, and yeah. his son in turn has died. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a it. Uh, you really can't blame the ones at the time because honestly we did not know we should have known but we didn't know it's like dioxin we didn't know dioxin was uh, a cancer causing 
element until dogs started to die that were roaming along on the grass that had been fertilized and, and weed killer been put on it. Well, look at Roundup today. Sure. And so we didn't know. The users, I don't, well, I know the users didn't know it because they're the ones that were heavily exposed because it was concentrated when they put it in the aircraft. The scary part is I've used defoliants, I've farmed, and um, we used defoliants, and, you know, the crop dusters that we used would get out of the plane, and, and you'd have thought they'd just had a, a couple of fifths of whiskey. Mm-hmm. They'd be drunker than a lord when they got out of the plane from from the uh, smelling of the yeah. defoliants and stuff. But we fought a, a different war. I mean, it was, we. I guess at the end of uh, Korea, we'd brought the helicopter in, but certainly the helicopter, particularly the Huey, played such an important part and such a different role for helicopters than it ever had. And well, well um, the statistics hear you out. Because, for example, World War II, we had over 400,000 killed in World War II. One of the reasons for that is because the transportation from injury to, to the hospital was about an hour, hour and a half. Well, then we shortened it in Korea to about 45 minutes. But in Vietnam, because of the Huey, because of those wonderful dust-offs and their great backdoor medics, because of them, we could cut that time down to 20, 30 minutes. And that's how we saved them. You know, there's, there's you and I, when we talked on the phone, and uh, we got into this a little bit, but those, just like you said, the medics that were in the helicopters and the pilots, they rate above... <laughs> I think anybody else. Uh, they well, were, and they'd go in. They'd go in, in into hot. very hot LZs, mm-hmm. very hot LZs in very difficult terrain, trying to weave around trees and so on and so forth, and bring that helicopter in to save their fellow comrades. You know, and, and as we talked before, there several weeks ago, uh, knowing that you were coming in, but we also talked about, and and I was I was one of the ones that. I didn't protest, but I certainly did not have a great feeling, and I did not have a great feeling towards them when I was in basic, was the conscientious objector. Mm -hmm. And yet they turned out, not all of them, but most of them, they would be assigned as medics or whatever, and they were incredible heroes. Yes, they They were. They would go... They wouldn't have their... They wouldn't have a weapon with them, but they'd have their bag with the Red Cross on it, and uh, they would go in as hot a zone as you could get. Well, and one of the Medal of Honor winners, uh, recipients, I don't want to say winner, recipients from World War II is a conscientious medic, conscientious objector who was a medic. So, you know, I I, I guess you could say Vietnam really, for lack of better terms, I can't think of one, but weeded out a lot of things. It weeded out the fact that we, you know, what we're going through today in politics, if you took and dissected Vietnam, what we're going through today would look like child's play Mm -hmm. compared to Vietnam. Uh, We had a vicious, vicious first lady that only cared about one thing, and that was money. I couldn't tell you how many friends that were 
in Nam that uh, MPs, uh, naval police, whatever, or mm-hmm. shore patrol, uh, that saw Ladybird's cargo ships cut in front of other because they paid off the uh, uh, the uh, shore master and uh, were put in lead positions so they could unload their freight and get back to sea so they could go pick up more so Ladybird could pad her pockets some more. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was terrible. And uh, it was a very difficult war, and the young men and women that went. Um, considering all the things that were being said about us, yeah. I give them a lot of credit. I give them, like, 100% of the women volunteered. 100% of the women that were in Vietnam were volunteers. And over 74% of the men were not draftees. They volunteered. And um, I, the the picture that was painted of us you know, that we were illiterate, that we were dropouts, that we were drug addicts, that we were worse than Gunga Din. All those things that were said are not true when you really study the statistics. We were, up until that time, the best educated military that had ever been put to war by this country. Donna, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with Donna Rowe and talking about nursing in Vietnam and more right after this. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on America's Web Radio and David's Pick. And my pick today is Donna Rose. She is she was a nurse in Vietnam. And, uh, you know, folks, it's a whole different thing to be sitting in a room with somebody that you can't... I can't explain the respect that I have for you and hmm. what you did and, and uh, you know... I was, I was basically in uh, in the heat of Vietnam, in high school, and uh, we went in during my when I was in junior high school, then really got involved in high school, and then a lot of my senior class went to Vietnam, mm-hmm. and uh, I went to I went to college, but the we just were never told the whole truth and if there's one person that uh, I blame for a lot of things it would have to be Walter Cronkite and mm-hmm. uh, he he was the one that started the body bag count and then he Dan was Dan Rather and uh, Dan Rather and Dan Rather as well but yes. uh, 
anyway, and they started opinionated news, which is not news. News is news. Opinion is personal. And uh, that's what we have today is, is we don't have newsmen. We have opinion men that get on and, and offer their opinion. And mm-hmm. some I respect, and maybe someone some know what they're talking about, but many of them, in my opinion, have no clue, and they never will. And it goes back to my whole thing, too, about that, uh, particularly when it involves the military. Um, and I I thought one of the worst things going, and again, uh, I wasn't General Schwarzkopf, so I didn't make the decision, nor could I, but uh, his decision to let let reporters go in with the different platoons and so forth during during uh, Desert Storm and all of this. I just really didn't... They don't need to know. And the public, unfortunately, doesn't really need to know the truth. Uh, if the truth were to be told, some of the things that we did in Vietnam... Um, you know, you see your buddy skinned and it leaves a lasting image and doing to others is you'd have them doing to you and and you've got to realize though that we've we've got to take ourselves back the average age of the men that served in Vietnam was 18 Mm -hmm. so they were very um, you know that platoon was their family and so you see a member of your platoon killed or staked with a bungee stick or um, blown up by um, a mine or an IUD, uh, that that makes an impression on a person. And the the average age of the women was 21. I was an old woman in Vietnam. I was 24. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, 24. But they called me the old captain. (laughs) And But with how young we were, and but how patriotic they were at that age that that they went and uh, I agree with you that there are a lot of politics in Vietnam and if they had let the military do the job that the military was supposed to do this business of don't go into Cambodia don't uh, bomb Hanoi don't do this don't do that well, dear Lord, if that had been the case, George Washington wouldn't have gone across the Delaware. That's what I said a minute ago. The terms of engagement. Right. Stink. If they had let the military do their job, like, fortunately, Norm Schwarzkopf did do in Desert Storm, he was given the mission, take care of Kuwait, that's the mission. He did the mission. He did it in 90 days. It was over. And that was his mission. Our mission was to keep South Vietnam free. We could have done that very easily. We could have, We had Hanoi on their knees after the Tet Offensive in 1968. If they had unleashed it full boat, we didn't have. We could have obliviated North Vietnam. But orders came down from the top, and they were, no, don't do this, no, don't do that. That's not how you fight a war. You fight a war, you're going to put the warrior to battle. Let the military do the military. You do the politicking. Yep, but that one, you know, and this was one reason I chose the route that I did was that I never saw us trying to win. Mm-hmm. We were, we were, you know, 
I guess it started in uh, Korea, policing action. Excuse me? When an American is getting shot at, that should be Katie bar the door. We're going to we're going to knock you into tomorrow. Right? End of story. Right. No questions asked. Exactly. And our politicians and and again, you look back at Chicago, you look back at some of the other areas that had the demonstrations against Vietnam and I'm not a McCarthyism person. However, you wonder how many of those areas were infiltrated. Like I said earlier, I think we're in more of a Cold War today than we were during the Cold War. Mm -hmm. And uh, how many of those demonstrations back then and today are infiltrated by the communists? Well, and and what we came home to... um, and what our casualties came home to, and the way we came home one by one instead of by units, I think that was a big mistake. I think if they had taken us over as a unit or replaced us as a unit, I think coming home would have been a little bit easier. But coming home one by one and being afraid to tell people where you were... um, just didn't make sense to me. And having demonstrations in airports mm-hmm. was just horrific. And even even for myself, uh, wearing that you couldn't wear your uniform. You were ordered not to wear your uniform if you were traveling in the United States. And I, you know, at the time I thought there can't be anything worse than that. I was proud of my uniform. I was proud of my flag. And today I'm still that way. I'm mm-hmm. still proud of my flag and will defend it to the death. And uh, like you said, the kids that went, yourself being one, uh, they had been instilled. I assume it came from your parents. Oh, yes. My mother uh, and father were part of the great generation. And, uh, and they had made it through the Depression. They had made it through Pearl Harbor. They had made it through the recession after the war. And um, we were raised with, you know, love of God, love of country, and love of family. I mean, and that's the way the Vietnam vets were raised. We were raised by very strict, loving parents. There was no such thing in my my household. I had an Irish father and an English-Scot mother. Um, My father was a Southie Irishman. My mother was a North Shore Bostonian. And I was raised in a very strict but loving household where we went to church every Sunday. I sang in the choir. I mean, I sang in the terror choir. And then in school, we weren't allowed to come home with D's and C's. My father would look at a B and say, what's this? (laughs) And I'd say, well, that's a B, Daddy. He said, well, that's a kind of funny-looking A, isn't it? (laughs) And they encouraged us to be good. And that's who the Vietnam vets were. We were the sons and daughters of the greatest generation, and our grandchildren are the ones serving today. And my son. You know, (laughs) that's what I'm saying. Our sons and our grandchildren, our sons and daughters and our grandchildren of the Vietnam vets are serving today. So we're very protective of them. Matter of fact, I can remember when President Bush... Um, declared war and we went in 2003 it was March of 2003 
I remember my husband, who was then president of the Georgia-Vietnam Vets Alliance, Chapter 1, I remember him standing up in front of the men and saying, they're not going to come home to what we came home to if you and I are the only ones waving the flag. And it was the Vietnam vets that helped turn the mode around. Even the liberal politicians praise the military today, even though I consider that false praise. But (laughs) they even do it today. But I think it's because the Vietnam vets stepped forward and said, not on our watch. They're beautiful people. And um, there's, uh, you know, and I've said this many times uh, again, that the military, and and this is why I'm, I'm very disappointed in my older son who has not served and did not serve. But my younger son is in Germany in the Air Force and Intel, officer in the Air Force, and I'm very proud of him. And he has, he has been a part of and, and will probably uh, do his 20, and I'll be surprised at the rate that he's going if he doesn't come out with a star. I may not be around for it, but uh, I honestly believe, and he's got the right stuff, as they say. Well, but, it takes the right stuff, you know, yeah. and, and, that's, and that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand. Unless you really get to know a person in the military, you'll never really understand how great they are. You know, as I've said, the the military, be it men or women, the military, the U.S. military is the largest fraternity slash sorority in the world. It certainly is. And uh, (laughs) it's like I was in a situation the other day and and uh, the guy in front of me said something about USAA, which is insurance for us. Yes. And uh, uh, you can either spot them, smell them, or something, but you know the person oh, yeah. that's standing there. You can just tell. Uh, I know. That that person was served at some point. You don't know whether it was no. last year or 50 years ago. No. But you you can tell. And uh, it's it's an honor. And, and like I said, I... I sort of eat my words on the fact that I didn't go to Vietnam, but in my way, I put my six years in. But well, that, but that's just know. it. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people, don't understand. I have just as much respect for the ones that were either stateside or in Germany or in Thailand or in the Philippines or wherever they were that backed us up, because when I took those patients, because I. I I discharged patients through my triage area, too. And when I turned them over to the Air Force nurses, those gals were going home, but they were backing us up. And some of the, some of the bad stuff I gave them to take home that they had to be alone with in the air, like to Okinawa, it was 16 hours, to the Philippines, Clark in the Philippines was an eight-hour. They were in the air alone. And those gals, I give them just as much credit as those of us that stayed on the ground under fire because the ones back in Tripler, the ones in Okinawa, they they had to start the rehabilitation of these young men. And I give them a lot of credit. I consider them just as much a Vietnam vet as I am. You know, uh, I think most of the nurses in Vietnam, and, and just like you described, the ones that uh, came back with the, uh, with the patients, uh, I think you all had the title of being angels, as I recall. <laughs> yeah. I had, I had one young man. I'll never forget it. 
I'll never forget, he had red hair and a freckled face, and his eyes were really tight, tight closed, and his fists were held tight, and he's laying there on that litter. And I said, you've got to relax so I can start your IV. And he looked up, and he said, I'm either in heaven or third field hospital. (laughs) And I said, well, it ain't heaven, honey. (laughs) And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget him saying that. Well, we're going to take our second break. We'll be back with Donna Rowe right after this. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on David's Pick on America's Web Radio with our very, very special guest, Georgia Military Hall of Fame fame recipient Donna Rowe. And the uh, what they look at is the service and the and what you did in the military in Vietnam. And Donna, as I said at the end of the last segment, is is an angel, and I'm I'm very rewarded by sitting across the the table from her here at America's Web Radio, and uh, you know the the chances are pretty good as as large as the military is, and I'm sure as as uh, your patients would come in. You didn't check whether they were in the army or navy or marines or air force. So you didn't care. You were just you just had another patient, and uh, I can certainly appreciate and understand how any wounded person would look up at Donna and say, just like you said, "Am I in in heaven or am I?" I think I would go for heaven over anything else. Actually, <laughs> I don't know about that. It was a it was a um it was an honor to be there, and it was an honor to work with the men and women and the, that I, I served with. Uh, I had some of the best combat trained. They'd all practically, I'd say 99% of my, my medics that worked with me in triage emergency room all had been in the field previously. 
And um, then would would they have gone back to uh, Fort Sam Houston for training? And in they were the all we were all trained at Fort Sam. Okay, we were all trained at Fort Sam. Uh, most of my combat medics were ninety one Cs, um, equivalent of a licensed practical nurse. Uh, my first sergeant, uh, matter of fact, my first sergeant uh, had worked on becoming an RN, and uh, then he he just stayed. He didn't. He went to Vietnam. He had three tours in Vietnam. Wow. Uh, four of my men, four of my men had five tours in Vietnam. And you came out a captain, correct? I was a yeah. captain. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was a captain promotable to major, but I turned down promotion because I had I wanted to get out because I wanted to start my family. Al and I had been married uh, four years when we were rotating out of Vietnam, and it was time for us to start our family. And so you couldn't be on active duty in those days and be pregnant. So I got out, and Al stayed in for 30 years. So that I, I switched from military officer to military wife. Wow. And so I've served both sides of the street, and I understand both sides of the street. I know what it's like to have a loved one deployed, and you don't even know where they are or how they are. Yeah, and th- things have changed so much with the uh, Skype and oh, Messenger and, and all. And the Internet is just, you know, I, I will speak with my son once in a while who's stationed in Germany, in Ronstadt. And, um, good assignment. I, yeah. Well, it's not as good as he had before, and oh, that I, was in Hawaii. So. Oh, well, no. Then, <laughs> you know. no, no, there you go. Um, but, you know, I can't imagine... My dad was uh, a captain in the Navy in World War II, and I can't imagine waiting three weeks, four weeks, six weeks to just get a letter. Well, and you know, I'm, I'm going to say this. I really i am I'm sort of grateful that we didn't have Skype, that we didn't have Internet, that we didn't have any of that, because we would have been so demoralized by that stuff coming at us. I mean, yeah. it would have been another Tokyo Rose coming in on the Internet, yeah. harassing us. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Facebook. Thank God. Otherwise, we would have been totally devastated. I never thought about that. My That's, mother, uh, my mother, as smart as she was, uh, she was a, a social worker in Juvenile Delinquent Division <clears throat> in Massachusetts. My mother would never send me the I – never, I never knew why. She never sent the front page of the Boston Herald or the Boston Globe. She sent the comics, the lifestyle section. She sent uh, Better Homes and Gardens. She sent this. She never sent Newsweek. She never sent this. She never – reason? She was trying to protect me. Mm-hmm. And she knew that would just be – you know, I mean, if I saw demonstrations, people saying horrible things about us, throwing blood on us when we came home – Stuff like that, you that would have demoralized us. So waiting for the tapes, the little little tapes, mm-hmm. we lived for those, and we lived for our care packages. And the only thing we had in Vietnam to listen to was "Good Morning Saigon," you know, <laughs> you know Vietnam. I mean, that's all we had. And they played music and uh, gave us reports on the crops, you know, how the crops were doing back home and stuff like that. We didn't hear the bad stuff. Thank hmm. God. Yeah, it, you know, one of my favorite and many other folks' favorite shows was MASH, which oh, yeah. was Korean, and really didn't 
depict what was going on in Vietnam. Oh, no. MASH Even was... When I came home, I saw the movie MASH. I got furious uh, because we had... There was no time for fun. We didn't have fun. Uh, yeah, we had a few laughs now and then. Yeah, we went on R&R. But when we were in that hospital, it wasn't fun. It was serious stuff. And everyone took it seriously. So when I came home and saw MASH and I saw Hot Lips Houlihan and all this other stuff depicting us nurses, I went, I don't think so. That isn't who I served with. Well, here I was sitting across from you thinking, I think this is the original Houlihan. No. Or, uh, no. Hot Lips. No, no, not by no stretch of the image. And we didn't have outside showers. And, you know, all that stuff I saw, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm going, uh, I don't know what war they were in. I know it was the Korean War, but I can tell you right now, um, it wasn't like that in, in where I was. The doctors were very respectful of us nurses. Uh, we were very professional with our enlisted people. Uh, we we adhered to no fraternization. <laughs> and it was very professional, the whole thing. And I, I've never had one of my men call me Donna. They always said Captain. I always called them by rank. Um, and I think there was just a, a respect among us. Do you realize that uh, that's changed? Oh, I know. Uh, my Some of my sons, and he's a major, uh, some of my son's best friends are, for all practical purposes, his employees, uh-huh. uh, sergeants, oh, yes. or, you know, airmen, whatever they call them. Uh, in the Air Force, but uh, and there is fraternization, and like even when I was in, and it, and it was like you had said, uh, college graduates, and so you were on a different level than than some of the enlisted. Mm-hmm. But you know, I had officer friends that we would meet after training or whatever, but. It wasn't. I wouldn't go up to him. And it was still sir or oh, whatever, yes. and you wouldn't no, go there, up and say, there "Hey, was Fred." A, there was well, and you've got to understand. We had to maintain a decorum because when I gave an order, I meant that order. I wasn't fooling around. It was like the time that um, we had um, Dan Rather come into our triage area with his big camera and what have you. And we had a policy there would be no photographs taken in the triage area. The reason for that is is to protect the dignity, number one, of the patient, but also the dignity of the parents or wife back home from seeing it on the evening news without the military telling them first. So that was a big policy of our command. No pictures, and it was posted. And uh, that camera came into the triage area, and my sergeant turned to me and he said, Look around, Captain. And I turned around, and there was this camera in the triage area taking pictures. And I took Specialist Morgan. Specialist Morgan played line for Michigan. (laughs) And I took Specialist, I said, Specialist Warren, come with me. And he came with me. And I said, take that man's camera, please. And he, he took it. And this man started to yell and scream at me, come to find out it was Dan Rather. Hmm. And... I said, take the film out of that camera, because it was one of those big cameras, you know, it had the, like a VHS yeah. tape inside, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, ma'am. And I said, Morgan, direct order, step on that. And he did, with his boot. He, wore, he must have wore a 15-size boot. <laughs> and the man was screaming, you can't do that, you can't do that. I said, I just did it. That's the order. 
I said, you take this stuff and you leave. Well, he left. He went down to see the commanding officer, Colonel Williams, and, uh, no, Colonel Thomas. Colonel Thomas came down with this man and the cameraman, little tiny guy, and he said, Captain, did you take this man's uh, film out of his camera and destroy it? I said, yes, sir, I did. And Colonel Thomas turned to the man and said, she did exactly what she was ordered to do. Thank you so much for reporting it to me. He said, you may leave now. <laughs> and he said to me, Captain, assume what you were doing. And I went back to my job. But when you gave an order, um, and in Vietnam, when you had someone's life on the line, and you said to one of your men, you couldn't say, Stephen, get this for me. You said, Sergeant, I need this. And he knew you knew what you were talking about. And the only time I actually went to anything with my men was when my first sergeant got promoted to E-8. And I was the one that promoted him. He was one of the best first sergeants I ever had. And I went to his party against command orders. I was not supposed to be outside the compound, which I was. I was not supposed to be with my men after hours, which I was. And I'm lucky I wasn't caught. I mean, I really was. But I was determined to go and honor him because he deserved to be an EA. And he earned it. He earned it. Three tours in Vietnam. Wow. So what What made you become a nurse? Or what, what was the... Well... The were, you a, were you a nurse before you joined the military? No, I was in the. I was recruited into the um, Student Nurse Corps program, which is ROTC mm-hmm. for nurses. And the uh, the Army had a program, and the Navy had a program, and they were recruiting us because of Vietnam, and they recruited heavily the ones that were specializing or liked OR or ER. Why? Because of Vietnam. And so I, I went into the uh, Student Nurse Corps program, and they paid for my last 18 months in, in school. And my mother and father already had my sister in college, so me in college at the same time was a double whammy to our families. So when the Army came along and said, we'll pay for your last two years, which is basically 18 months, and you owe, you'll owe us two years, I went, here I am. <laughs> of course, my father had to sign for me to go. And I took that paper home to my father, and my father sat at the end of the dining room table, and my mother sat at the other end, and I'm in the middle, and Daddy's looking at the paper, and he had a cup of tea. My little girl. And he said, if I sign this, Donna, you're going to war. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, Donna, there's a war in Southeast Asia. And I said, "Um, excuse me. I said, um, let me turn this thing off. Um, I said, no, it doesn't matter, Daddy. I'm, go- I'm, I'm going in the Army. And he said, okay, child. He said, but I'm telling you, you're going to war. And he looked at my mother, and my mother said, Bucky, go ahead and sign it. She's going to do it anyways. And so my daddy signed it. And let's see, that was 1963. And in 1966, I went in the Army Nurse Corps. And um, 1968, 69, I found myself in Vietnam. But um, I think the reason I became a nurse, per se, 
is because um, I had polio as a child, and I was in the epidemic, the 1952 polio epidemic, and I saw how nurses should, I, I thought nurses should have treated people better. And um, they were very strict to us children. And, you know, we, you, if you can't move the bottom part of your body, you can't do a lot of things for yourself, especially at the age of nine. So that's when I pretty much decided I was going in the medical field. Hmm. Yeah. When, I was, when I was very young, I, I, I realized that I, I could do that. Did I, you ever have to be in an iron lung or anything? I was in an iron lung for, I, I want to say, I never did ask my mother how long I was in there. It was a long time. It was summer to spring. So I came down with polio in July, and I wasn't out of that iron lung until Easter time. So it had to be almost six months. Wow. But I wasn't the only one. There was a whole slew of us all lined up, all these iron lungs lined up in this big, big ward. And my biggest fear was the electricity would go out because <laughs> I uh, used to count how many nurses there were because, you know, they had a hand hand pump well, those, yeah. those. And I used to count how many nurses I could see. And then I'd count how many iron lungs there were. And I said oh, to myself, God. yeah. But, uh, but my mother was very strong through all that. And that's why I'm walking today. There's um, the number of people that are listening out and the number of people that will listen when we archive the show and, and put it on our website as well as uh-huh. on all of these other um, podcast players. We're on every one uh, uh-huh. that we know of in the United States and, and abroad. But I will venture to say, I don't, I don't know the percentage, I don't, I won't say a percentage, but there'll be a number of people that won't even know what we're talking about with an iron lung, and uh, I, I think that was one of the times that I realized how claustrophobic I was. We'd, we'd they'd have the uh, the telethons, yes, back in the fifties, yes, and that was one of the one of the big programming things black and white yeah. and uh, showing the different kids and uh, the kid laying there and looking at the mirror. And, yeah, looking at the mirror. Uh, right. And I thought, oh, my God. And and the thought of being in an iron lung and uh-huh. in, in like a entrapment. And, uh, it was. It, it was. was. And, and um, my I can remember the doctor standing over me and my mother. My mother was only about five foot tall. And my daddy was tall, but my, my mother wasn't. And I can remember the doctor saying to my mother that I was that she's going to die. And my mother put her hand on my head, and she said, no, no, you've got it wrong. She said, Donna's very strong. Donna believes in God, and Donna's not dying. And I went, down right there. So that that's what, you know, and I, I really believe it was mind over matter. And you probably saw that a lot in Vietnam as well. We're going to take our uh, last break. You're listening to America's Web Radio on... And David's pick, and we have such a wonderful special guest, and uh, we're going to excite a lot of people with Donna Rowe, not just today, but hopefully in the near future. So, so we'll be back right after this. 
You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. And please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. I, I mean, that just... And uh, we're back with Donna Rowe and, uh, on David's pick on America's Web Radio, and we're glad, uh, certainly pleased that you're listening in today. And uh, I want to thank everybody that's listening, and I want to thank all the veterans that listen. And every night I include friends and folks that have served in any war, and they've at least identified it today as PTSD, but shell-shocked. I mean, there's there have been names for it for years, or different names, I should say. And uh, those that have served, God bless you, and God bless our country, and may it always be the strongest nation in the world. Amen to that. And uh, we we have done, I say we, our country and, and our the greatest generation ever, and it goes back and back and back, has done something that no other country has ever done. And uh, I'm just thankful that I was born here, raised in the United States, and support the United States. And if there's one thing that will really upset me is to see anyone doing anything to our flag. And uh, I can't stand that. 
So, with that being said, Donna, uh, we've got a few minutes left. How would you like to wrap it up? What 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 do you know that that we don't know? Um, I don't think a lot of people truly understand uh, the patriotism of the men and women I served with. Um, we were very young, but we were very patriotic. And our parents sacrificed a great deal in putting us all to war. And they were our best supporters. And so if you know of a veteran, whether they be a Vietnam vet or a person serving today or a Korean vet, um, next week, I believe, is next month is the 75th anniversary of the Korean conflict. And I think it's important for us to not forget them. And not forget all those that came before us. But the main thing is, we all went to war for one reason and one reason only. And that was to keep a people free. And if we were willing to sacrifice for people we did not know, couldn't understand, could barely speak their language. I spoke some Vietnamese. If we did that, then we should protect our freedoms back home a lot more than what we're doing. So that's Amen. That's what I think. You know, you wonder, and what you've just said, if you'd look back at the film clips and the uh, video of the 60s, mm-hmm. you would think that there was no patriotism in the United States. But there was, and it was... Um, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, what uh, Reagan called it, and the grassroots, the, the silent majority, whatever you want to call it. But somehow, folks like yourself, folks like many friends of mine, they were patriots. Oh, yes. And, uh, they truly were. It's, uh, it's and, and that's never really, well, I don't want to say it's not written about, because, yes, it is written about. But it's not read about. Not many people today will pick up a, a Vietnam veteran's book and read it and find out the truth about what was going on. We've had, we had, uh, Bob, do you know Bob Moore or uh, Bruce Cowie by chance? No, I don't. Uh, uh, Bruce, um, both of them were pilots and they came back from Vietnam and they went to, ultimately they're, they're still flying for Delta. <coughs> but they wrote about from from Vietnam to Western Airlines and uh, the training they got in being pilots in Vietnam and then coming back. And I, one last thing that I want to mention, and we started it in the beginning, but I don't have a hat on. If I did, I'd take it off in respect and and whatever other words would fill the mind, but respect for you and the part that you played in Vietnam and the respect of the Huey pilots oh, yeah. and um, the dust-offs as well as the gunships. And, uh, oh, yeah. If they you... they all flew to hell and back. The old Audie Murphy movie, do you remember that, to hell and back? Yes, I do. And that was, in my opinion, the Vietnam Huey pilots that 
God knows how many lives they saved, both in a offensive and a defensive mode. Uh, flying in to, like you said, into the LZs that were hot, and if people don't know what hot is, that's being shot at from every angle. And uh, you know, uh, the the pilot that saved helped save baby Kathleen's, the one that's in the movie that I'm in. Well, uh, tell us about that right quick. I'm sorry, I should have. Uh, David David Alden. Well, the movie I'm in is In the Shadow of the Blade, which is the helicopter blade, and it's a documentary that won the World Film Festival. And um, this, the baby we saved was picked up by David Alderman, dust-off pilot. And I'm just going to tell you briefly about him. Three tours in Vietnam, over 7,000 flights logged in his logbook, and he took out of the jaws of hell of war over 25,000 casualties. Now that is a hero of the Vietnam War, and his name was David Alderman. He's a hero. He's a hero. And those are the guys that flew those choppers. And then they came home, and Southwest Airlines, by the way, was the one that would hire them. A lot of other airlines wouldn't. But that man that owned Southwest was smart enough to know he had the best trained flyers on his hands. And so. And and I'd bet you, I don't know him, obviously, but I would bet you he'd sort of scratch his foot in the dirt and say, oh, shucks, I didn't do nothing. uh, That's right. It's exactly what he'd say. And Laura Armstrong, who lives over in Cobb County, her daddy, I'm sorry, this keeps on going off. I should have quieted it down. Her daddy, Laura Armstrong's daddy, was in um, the Yatrong Valley, the Battle of the Yatrong Valley, and I'm just going to quickly tell you about him. He flew gunship. His name was Black Bart Bartholomew, and Laura Armstrong was eight years old. It was Thanksgiving Day. It was the only baby of th- that he had at home. He came back from the hot LZ because they were delivering supplies to Hal Moore's men on the ground, and it was very bad battle. And he came back, and the guy next to go out on the flight was a father of five, Black Bart Bartholomew said, I'll take your run, and he took his run. And on that run, they killed Black Bart Bartholomew on Thanksgiving Day. That's the kind of men that served in Vietnam. Incredible. Um, Wow. We... uh, I don't want to end this, but I'm going to have to. And uh, I'm going to ask, well, I've already asked, and this was under one role, but I'll ask under the next role, or under this role. Will you come back and talk about it with us some more? I will. I'll be glad to come back. Oh, great. We've had Donna Rowe on, and she is, you're the unlucky ones out there. I got to sit across the table from someone I think is, is a hero's hero, and uh, I, 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 I'm speechless. And I, I I've enjoyed just, my time with you. Well, thank you, and I'm sure everybody has enjoyed listening to your God story. God bless our troops. And, uh, we're we're going to have Donna back many, many, many times. So, you all take care. Have a good day. You've been listening to David's Pick on America's Web Radio, and we'll be back next week if not before thanks donna you're listening to america's web radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com thank you for listening